Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. Money, a lot of people would argue, is power. And there are plenty of groups that we use as shorthand for the people who have money and power. The 1%, people on Wall Street, people in Silicon Valley, people with college degrees. But there's another financial dividing line that we hardly ever talk about. One that will change our lives, whether we notice it or not. It's the line between older and younger Americans. Now, you might assume that people nearing or in retirement are spending less money than their younger counterparts because they've got to save up. They might not have a steady income anymore. But on average, they spend quite a bit more. The median age in the U.S. is about 38. So how much household wealth do you think is controlled by people who are over 50? 83%. Joseph Coughlin argues that the consumer power of older Americans is shaping the marketplace, whether you're 25 or 75. But few have realized how dramatic the change that's coming may be. And companies, in general, are confused. A few decades ago, the ketchup producer, Heinz, rolled out a product with, they thought, a lot of potential. And it had a catchy name, too, Senior Foods. And what they did is they took the idea that old age was much like being a baby, that you could not chew your food. And in fact, you probably didn't even care what it tasted like. So they came out with jars of food for older adults that tasted as bad, if not worse, than baby food. So pureed food conveniently packaged for you to take home. Not that a lot of people did. Well, needless to say, Senior Foods, uh, shall we say, was an epic fail. They ran very quickly back to what they, they did best and continue to do today. Coughlin is the founder of the MIT Age Lab and the author of The Longevity Economy, unlocking the world's fastest growing, most misunderstood market. He says that in some ways, the notion that youth is where it's at, that young people are the audience for movies and TV and gadgets and detergent, that's not wrong, exactly. It's just a few decades out of date. The baby boomers were roughly 75 to 80 million people who said youth, 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 youth. This endless group of people uh, that were consumers. And they taught business for the better part of 60 years or plus that to focus on the 18 to 35 market. And the difficulty is, is that the boomers are now at least 60, if not older. And suddenly now they have not just the numbers, but they also have the money and, frankly, the expectations. And ultimately, people who want to make money will meet those expectations, Coughlin says. But for a country that has never seen this much money concentrated amongst older people, it's going to take a little adjustment. I mean, one of the things that younger people ought to think about is that this is an opportunity. The longevity economy is not just about more older folks. It's about a virtual almost continent rising out of the abyss of consumers that have new wants and needs. The gross domestic product, the equivalent of buying power, would be the third largest economy in the world after the U.S. and China. So if you're 35 and you want to work and you want to find a place that is a burgeoning business for startups or even for big companies, this is a place that you want to look. So it's not just having to run overseas for, shall we say, emerging economies. The emerging economy is right in your backyard. (laughs) So when you say um, it'll be the third largest economy after the U.S. and China, right, you're talking about 50-plus consumer power. It's like a nation within a nation of the the power. Yeah, actually 60-plus in that case. If we make it 50, it gets even larger than that. Why is – you know, I I mentioned in the introduction how – when you look at like household purchasing power, 83% is with people over 50 years old. Right. 
why is it so lopsided? If the median age in the U.S. is 38, yeah. why is it lopsided that way? How'd that shake out? It's largely about accumulation. Over the last 100 years, we've put in new pension plans. We've put in retirement plans. But also people, many people, not enough, have been doing savings. And frankly, by about 50, 60 years old, you've bought all the large assets. So now you start to, shall we say, gather more and more money to mm. be able to buy the things that you like. Mm. But there is the rub. One of the reasons why they have so many assets that they haven't spent money on is that, frankly, companies have not invented things that excite and delight customers. You know, one of the great myths out there is that older folks don't like to buy new things. They're not willing to try new things. The bottom line is they actually set a very high bar as to what's worth their trouble. They've seen so much that they have a higher criteria for what it is that they want to buy. Well, and you always hear that about advertising, too. Like, maybe 19-year-olds don't have money, but they're open to whether they're going to buy Tide or some other detergent, whereas, like, 55-year-olds aren't open to that. And so that's why 19-year-olds, again, though they may have nothing, are worth something because in the long run— they'll choose Tide. It's an unfortunate observation, but I would argue that organizations in general, but business in particular, is lazy. Hmm. And so what they would like to do is to go after that 19-year-old because anything they put in front of the 19-year-old is novel and therefore maybe worth a try at least once. Versus if you go to a 50- or 60-year-old, They've seen how that car is designed before. They've seen whether that phone actually does something valuable for them, not just that it's a prestige item about them. And so they don't want to work that hard. But if they do want to get into that fast-growing market and get the premium dollars, we find that older adults demand more. Okay, so let's talk about a couple of products or companies that you feel like they have been making strides towards understanding what older consumers are really like now, which is not sort of your idea of what an older consumer is like. No, I mean, you you certainly see uh, uh, many of the leisure industry realizing that it's not just about the trip or the stay. It's often about the experience. Can you give me an example of a company or a trip that really gives that sort of added dimension to a trip that maybe we would assume doesn't have it. Yeah, I I would say that one of the things you see are companies like uh, Viking and the like that really focus on not just the quality of the accommodation, but also the quality of the education along the way, learning about the arts, the books and things like that. And that's for the more affluent, higher end customer overall. And and that's a cruise company. Do you feel like that's a change in the way that cruises have been in the past? Yeah, we've seen, uh, you know, cruises uh, going from, shall we say, party boat now to experience boat. And I think that that's one of the benefits you do see. But there's also big changes you see in products. I mean, something that I really want people to appreciate is that we don't want to build an old man's car or an old woman's car or house or anything else. Because here's the rub. Older people or an old man will not buy an old man's car, neither will an older woman, because frankly, if you build an old man's car, a younger person will run from it, but so will the older person. Hmm. Because we don't want things that, shall we say, reinforce how old we are or what we think we are. So I'll give you an example. OXO Good Grips, very uh, fine company that builds kitchen uh, uh, hardware and the like. Essentially, they design for the aging population by stealth. They make it easy to use for arthritic hands and very functional. And more importantly, they make it stylish. So one of the things that we're going to see with the longevity economy of older adults, we're going to see products that are easier to use, more personalized, focus on maybe health and well-being and overall experience. And it sounds, I mean, I have certainly seen OXO Good Grips, uh, like Kitchen Tools, advertised. I've never heard them say that they're for arthritic hands. And when you say stealth, I assume it's like we're designing it this way, but we're not putting it out there that 
you should have arthritis uh, in order to buy this. Yeah, because the, the younger consumer will run, but so will the older consumer. You mm. know, the other example that we take for granted every day is perhaps being a young person's toy is the, the tablet or, you know, classically the iPad. Right. You know, the beauty of that uh, device is that, frankly, I can take off my glasses and crank up the font, and I'm still cool using the technology, <laughs> but now I can actually read it. But I guess the other thing is is to really don't pull back on the idea that style matters. You know, in the auto industry, the high-tech, high-style, high-priced cars are bought by people well over age 55 and over age 60. And frankly, we could take a, a, a lesson from the eyeglasses industry. You know, that is assistive technology. Uh, glasses are, are made for those of us who can't see very well. And yet, we are now willing to pay several hundred dollars to have some, shall we say, person from Europe's name written on the side and made it look fun and, and have it match with our wardrobe. I should say your blue eyeglasses match your coat. <laughs> so you you're go. not just yeah, you're not just talking but, about some abstract thing. Dream, that's, that's right. right. <laughs> that's right. You're listening to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. I'm talking with Joseph Coughlin, the author of The Longevity Economy, Unlocking the World's Fastest Growing, Most Misunderstood Market. One of the really interesting points you make is that as people get older, and this is just a demographic thing, there are more and more women. I think by 85, by 85 years right. old, for every 100 women, there are 60 men. Yeah, I'm hoping to make up for a very bad <laughs> high school dating experience. <laughs> so, I mean, when we talk about money getting concentrated amongst older people— in large part, what we're talking about is money getting concentrated amongst older women, because women at of any age, I think, already make a lot of decisions about what their household spends money on. I, I think that one of the, the, the great uh, findings in, in doing the research for the book is that, indeed, the future is female. Mm -hmm. In fact, women over the age of roughly 47, over age 50, are not just the chief consumer officer of their house, but according to the Pew Foundation and others, they're also recognized as being the chief advisor and best friend of many millennials. Mm. And by the way, that same woman is also advising and caring for either her parents. And if her partner doesn't have the oldest adult daughter uh, nearby, guess what? She's likely to have more parents than she had ever planned on mm. having children. So not only are women living longer, they're the primary caregiver. They're the chief consumer officer of what goes in that house. I'll give you an example. In healthcare alone, she makes 80 cents to 90 cents on the dollar of every decision in healthcare, from buying the pain medication to the antacid to picking the doctor and the health insurance. Even in the in the car business, she directly influences over 65% of the car purchases. And by the way, if it's a luxury car, that number goes up to 80%. Wow. Let's talk lifestyle for a minute. For about the last 50 years, we have seen the rise, and we've talked a little bit about it here, the rise of retirement villages. Sometimes they're entire cities, uh, Sun City in Arizona, uh, the villages in Florida. And, and it's, you know, age-restricted housing. It's sort of fun things to do during the day. People can have parties at night or whatever. Um, do you feel like when you talk about this massive economy, the third largest economy in the world rising up that is 60 plus, right? Is that what the future looks like? Like when I'm 60, am I going to live in that? Not everybody, but is that increasingly the world that we're creating where older people live in this sort of fun world, but but separate from younger people? I, I My answer is, and I'll put a normative judgment, is I hope not. Okay. And, and, and 
one of the things that we miss about business and products and, and service innovation is they, they don't just do things. They actually show us how to live. They give us alternatives of what to do at a certain age. You know, we're, we're guided along uh, the life in terms of what to wear, where to live, what car to drive and everything else. And one of the challenges we have right now is that the retirement village as we have it now, whether it's the villages in Florida or Sun City or, or even Beacon Hill Village here in Boston, these were created based upon the fact that there was nothing else to take up the retirement dollars and the retirement time of a whole new group of people who had time on their hands and money in the 1950s and 60s. And so as a result, in lieu of anything else, that's all we have. And the longevity economy is not just about the numbers and the money and the expectations and, frankly, the education of this group. It's really this is a new opportunity for society to create entirely new things to do in many, many decades of older age, not just a few years. Is there a model here or in other countries that you've seen that is a retirement model for how to live? Uh, and that's interesting and innovative maybe – but it's not, um, you know, Dell Webb, Sun City. Yeah. I, you know, I, I am a fan a bit of, of Beacon Hill Village, which was started uh, in Boston, which was the residents themselves said, hey, look, we don't want to go to assisted living. We don't want to move. Let's put together a co-op of sorts to gather not just the services we need, like trash pickup, uh, transportation, maybe a visit to the doctor, but also theater tickets. Let's have a party once in a while. Let's get together. And this village-to-village movement has not just moved across the United States. It is now around the world. So it's kind of an organic built thing rather than, shall we say, the notion that retirement is about pulling away, retiring away, and being separated from society. Joseph Coughlin is the founder of the MIT Age Lab. He's also the author of The Longevity Economy, Unlocking the World's Fastest Growing, Most Misunderstood Market. Joseph, thank you so much for coming Thanks in. Thanks for being here. Thank you. A while back, we talked with economist Andrew Scott about how this increase in the number of older folks is going to affect not just the economy, but how we organize each stage of our lives. We'll have a link to that interview on our website, innovationhub.org. <laughs> 